future. What's up? What's up? King Wells. What's up, King? What's up? What's up? Could I ask you a question, Pete? Sure, Johnny. Anything. to listen to Johnny. <laughs> Are you unique people? Peculiar? Strange people? What's up? What's up? Hey, boy, Johnny here. I'm down here at Pound Orlando with my host, Richard. Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? prison story is uh my friend donnie he's he's donnie's a big black guy too but he says me and peaches out on the pile one day we're lifting i look over and uh peaches uh you know he had you know what he did was he couldn't get makeup into prison you know so what peaches would do would be to uh lick m&ms and rub them on his eyelids for you know for eyeshadow right wow he was so happy when they came out with the blue m&ms right because then, <laughs> then he'd have, he finally had his blue eyeshadow, you know. Oh my god! Anyway, so he's out there on the pile. So Don Don's telling me this story. He goes, "Yeah, I'm out in the pile lifting with peaches, and I look over, I see peaches. He's got one green eye and one red eye, and uh, so I'm like, Pete. He goes, he goes, peaches. What? What's up with the we got the eyeshadow thing? What's up with the red eye and the green eye? And peaches goes, well, you see, I. I, I had run low on M&M's and I obviously didn't have any blue ones left. And, well, um, all I had was a one red one and one green one, you see. But, you know, even though it's July, I think these Christmas colors are still in. Don't you? Don't you all think so? <laughs> Man. Everybody's like, yeah, Peaches, it's still in, man. You had to agree with Peaches, otherwise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. There was the no argument. The horns, oh, the Christmas colors were in. Everybody was running, running, you know, out on the pile the next day with red and green eyeshadow. You know, <laughs> it's terrifying. It is, you know. He goes. I've been pulling people over on this freeway here for twenty years. And he goes, and every single one of them, lie to my face. <laughs> he was like, he nose to nose, on you? spit flying all over me, you know. I'm like, oh, no. He goes, I ask you how fast you're doing. I have you at 90. You say, oh, officer, I was doing at least 95. Yeah, all right. Get back in the car, you son of a <laughs> Oh, my 
my gosh. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the iron. The iron shall remain. Remains. And it goes like this. Hi. It's your boy Johnny. Welcome to the Iron Show. It's so nice to be here. I feel so warm and fuzzy. And do you know why? It's because I have our old friend, Counselor Mark, Mark Breton, with me for the Iron Show. Oh, Counselor Mark, are you feeling warm and fuzzy tonight? Like a lukewarm hot tub, baby. <laughs> oh, Counselor Mark, could I ask you a question? Absolutely. What's up? Yeah! Yeah, baby, baby, baby. Oh, no! Yes! We are so honored to bring you Counselor Mark Brett. On the Iron Show today. And uh, we're so honored to have you here with us, Mark, as we leave. Very happy to be back. Oh, yes. Thank you. I'm glad you're happy. Happy, When I'm happy, happy. you're happy. Happy, happy, happy. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Yes, sir. We are. We are going to lay down some Iron Show tape here today. And this is me, Counselor Mark and I, after finishing our, uh, after laying down tape on what you will remember, Iron Show 21, as our groundbreaking epic on the human condition with Counselor Mark Breton. We had been talking over the months, and we had decided that we were going to lay down a uh, special, a series on the human emotions. And so, uh... We were kind of planning on doing like maybe one emotion per show here. And I'm really not sure the emotion we're going to tackle today here. Or if we're just going to stay with one. But uh, I think I remember Counselor Mark. uh, Oh, it seems like Counselor Mark wanted to do a show about... All of you. No, I wouldn't. Not really. I'm just joking. I don't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> Yet. Yet. <laughs> so. Maybe after the show. <laughs> yeah, after the show. After the show. Actually, talk about how we can control our anger. That's why we're angry. Good one. I like it. Well. And exploring the uh, human emotions uh, as we uh, as we focus our uh, microscope in on anger, uh, I, I'm sure these these questions will come about, and uh, we will uh, we will explore this human emotion, I guess, tonight. The yep. human emotion known as anger. Anger. Now, how many uh, how many emotions would you say that there are that you could probably actually like um, segregate as like a sovereign emotion? Sovereign emotions. Yeah. Wow. Uh, they stand on their own. Only one. Gosh, that's a, no fear. 
Everything's related to fear. <laughs> fear and love. Yeah, I fear think there's love. two of them. Okay. Fear and love. Oh yeah. Yeah, actually. Really? Yeah, I think that I think that's a pretty good call. I fear took, and love. I took a wild stab at it. You know, everything uh, everything springs from those. Uh, I was gonna say, um, oh, who was it? Charles Stanley. Do you ever listen to Charles, Doctor Charles Stanley? I do listen to Doctor Charles Stanley. Now he says that uh, anger is just fear with another face. Yeah, it is sort of, except you have an exception in that you see uh, Christ with righteous anger, of course, and none of us are Jesus, but you see him acting on the behalf of other people. I think that there is a place in the Christian heart where we recognize unholiness and the harm that it has on other people, especially people who cannot defend themselves, and that uh, we we basically adopt sort of, in a sense, the heart of God in protecting his own holiness and the ones that he loves, and we get righteously angry, and it motivates us to action. So if, like, I was on the, like, playground, and the big guys were, like, the, the big evil um, Assyrian-like dudes, Satan worshippers, were picking on Johnny... You would fear you would come over and like rescue me out of like righteous anger, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, on. I mean if 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 well not that Johnny needs rescuing, but but uh no, I, I have had occasion I'm dealing with a situation right now and I, I'm not gonna mention any names because it's live and uh I don't it, and it's basically I have uh two teens uh that are uh, a male and a female. And they're living in a home, a Christian home, where the parents have no control over themselves in, in any in, – in how you would, I guess, regard it as a Christian. You know, we have boundaries and, and things in Christianity that we see clearly. Galatians makes it very clear, you know, what, what we're supposed to look like, you know, uh, with the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, when – and the thing that is is because a lot of the counseling I do is with people that I go to church with. I go to church with these folks, and uh, you see, you know, a, a certain kind of uh, effusive, you know, worship and generosity or whatever, you know. And but I mean, I know what's actually happening in the home because I'm actually talking to these kids, and so I know what's really going on, and I know just the crazy amount of anger and control issues there are in that home. And I'm emailing with, with one of them, you know, every day, practically getting phone calls. And, uh, you know, I have to talk this person off the, off the ledge, you know, a little bit and say, Hey, are okay. Let's get some perspective and, 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 and how we're going to deal with it. But, uh, this is a case where, if if I said one time to my wife, we were driving down some big, you know, down one of the roads we go to to go to church, and there's this 25-acre piece of property that's been for sale for six or seven years. And I said, you know, I'd love to be able to buy that and build this huge home and call it Breton's Ark and just have all of these people that are going through all of this stuff just have a safe place. And I think that's what Jesus was doing when he ripped through the temple and got rid of, you know, drove out the property 
and flipped over the table and just kind of made a mess of it because all of those money changers had gotten in the way of the Gentiles being able to go into the one place they were allowed to go to in the temple. And that was in that court. And it was the place where the Gentiles could go and worship God and approach that entire thing. And the, and the Jewish, you know, hierarchy had packed it full of money changers and people that were making them sell their sacrifice or buy sacrifice, uh, sacrificial animals. And they had completely impeded their approach to God. And, uh, you know, and Jesus talks about the millstone, you know, and a millstone. I don't know if anybody has any idea how big a millstone is. Oh, they're big. But, I mean, you're talking about something that is so big it gets pulled around in a circle by an ox. Yeah. I mean, it's it like an 10 feet tall, five feet wide. Granite. Granite. Just something like that. Just so, so large. And huge, you know, it weighs what, you know, like what a car weighs or something yeah, like that. Yeah, more than that. It weighs. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, and they have to, uh, it has to be able to be heavy enough to where it just rolls and powders uh, grain. And grain, like wheat, when it's hard, man, it's like a rock itself. Yeah. So that's, anyway, a little background well, there. Well, yeah, there's there's some concept on the millstone and and. And he talks about, you know, if you cause one of my little ones is stubborn, it would be better if you were born you know, or you were thrown in the sea with a millstone around your neck. And, I mean, that is absolutely, you're not coming back from this. And I think that righteous anger that Jesus showed is something that we, as believers, when we are walking in the Spirit, can uh, use to motivate us to holy action. Uh, do Am I going to go shoot or recommend somebody like, Go shoot an abortion doctor? Absolutely not. Uh, it's not. It's that's not the righteous anger. That's psychotic behavior that should be avoided at all costs. That's that's. I mean, it's an, it's a crime. But Jesus didn't hurt anybody. He just put an end to the business and the business as usual. And so what I do is I get involved in these people's lives and I'm involved in these people's lives. And to tell you the truth, if I could get the parents to look at their life and go, you know what, the reality of this is is that we're still highly immature Christians and we don't know what we're doing and our kids are really upset. And if they came to talk to me and we sat down and started working uh, as a group to make it better, absolutely, I'd do it in a heartbeat. And uh, so knowing that's my motivation, I know I'm not angry like, oh, you know, I grew up with a horrible parent and I'm going to uh, I'm gonna fix this and I'll show you and uh and, you know, and I'm not bringing all my dirt, you know, and all my old crud and everything forward on this one. I have to think about what's going to be best for these teenagers and how do I do that? What do they need? How do I clear out the temple for them? And and they still have to live at home, you know. And so all of those things are very touchy. You know, if something very untoward was going on, of course, I have to call the state, but uh, that's not the case. And so it's just – so I'd have to say there's three different things, you know, love, anger, and then there is is righteous anger. Uh, so I can't agree with the good doctor on that one uh, that uh, anger is only fear, uh, you know, w with a different face. Um, but then again, you know, maybe he addressed righteous anger in a different context or he would call it something else. I don't know. 
Yeah, I'm not taking. Uh, I'm probably taking him out of context. I've just heard him say that before in uh, certain yeah. sermons where he's going, "Are you angry about something? Well, um, um, is what what scares you?" And then try to to try to trace that back to, like you know, he's talking about being angry at somebody when you're not supposed to be angry. Right. You know, and that kind of anger may be rooted in fear. At least some of it, some of it may be rooted in fear. He's usually will say, if you're angry at somebody, well, what's scaring you? You know, a- answer that question, and maybe right. we can find out what's causing this anger. Because you know, a lot of times people deal with anger that has no uh, foundation in uh, reality. I mean, or. Anger that is misplaced anger, right? I mean, people that are angry at somebody else, and they don't have a good reason to be angry. They're just angry. And why is that? You know what? Is is it helpful to try to find the source of that anger? I mean, when it's not... I mean, you want to talk about unrighteous anger for a while here and see if we can... Sure. Sure, absolutely. Give, put that on the fire and maybe uh, I, toast it on our, the outside where it's black. And then we could peel off the black part and eat the mushy inside. And there you go. Maybe we could chew on the stick for a while because after that anger's been on the stick, it gets kind of sweet. We could chew on there for a while. <laughs> some <laughs> anger barbecue. What's up? Oh, I got me some anger barbecue. Anger barbecue. My ribs are yelling at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, let's talk about unrighteous anger. I, yeah, I've kind of got a saying that life is, is very much like uh, your emotions. You're like walking around with a skillet, and you're either holding on to the handle, swinging it at people, or you're you're passive-aggressive, and you're handing them your skillet and letting them hit you with it. Uh, Interesting. It's It's... Anger is the tool that people use to control their lives. Really? And, and, and so, and that's why you see a certain kind of anger in counseling will predominantly be voiced by men. Men oftentimes will not talk about how they feel, but no. they'll talk about how mad they are. They'll talk, they will display right there for you just, you know, unmitigated anger, just aggressive really just ugly ugly anger is that a and, is that a feeling that us men are comfortable with sharing is that why that yeah, is or not I, I, I definitely because there's nothing in our minds that is feminine about it it's extremely aggressive it it's it's an alpha male thing and you know i'm here and there on all the on the catchphrases i'm going to use them for illustrative purposes unless of course but, you were angry with your boyfriend peaches cuz he yeah, took your cookies. Yeah, well, he stole your m and so he could get his mascara. But <laughs> What's up? Sorry. Oh, but anyway, You're on the Iron Show now, buddy. Uh, but no, I, I see that kind of thing happening where there's anger. And I can tell you from my own experiences, when I've experienced the most anger, uh, it has been when I have probably felt humiliated. Anytime I put shame and anger together right i have to deal with shame and and in what i would consider to be humiliating circumstances the the tool i use to cope is generally anger now that's my might be my my first reaction 
you know, but scripture says be angry and sin not. I think it's an emotion that can come unbidden, you know, especially when you're caught off guard. And, uh, and so, you know, for me, I've been in some circumstances where I, I wasn't just mad. I mean, I was raging, you know, I was just, it was, it was unbelievable up, you know, that blood pressure up, everything up, everything just hyper vigilant, ready to go. You know, we're going to throw down right here and right now and let's go. And I think a lot of guys do that and guys do that in counseling because for them to admit that they feel humiliated by either their wife directly or their relationship with their wife or even by their own behavior is to do the very same thing is to feel more humiliated. And so they respond in anger. And for guys, that's just a real easy one. But the thing is, is I've been with a whole group of guys talking about anger, you know, 30 dudes. And every one of them, when you start showing them a way out, they want it. They start talking about when, when, when we can have like a group thing. When can we have a small group and address anger and deal with anger? Because they see it as the biggest impediment to successful relationships in their life, including their relationship with themselves. Because what happens is, is a lot of guys, unless they're extremely prideful, they'll get extremely angry about certain things and they might blow up or they might just push it down. But what ends up happening is they feel very ashamed of themselves for having lost control. You know, a couple hours later, they'll start to chill out and they'll be like, man, I hate that. I hate that about me. I hate that I can lose my temper. I hate that I get out of control. And then they feel more shame. And it just it piles up, and unless they find some way to deal with that, you know, and the only place you can take that stuff is the foot of the cross. I mean, we can talk therapy all day long, and we can, you know, we can feel warm and fuzzy, and you can hear the, the you know, the sweet butterflies flapping in the background. But the truth of the matter is, is that ever since Cain and Abel, dude, all we want to do is kill our brother, and... We it do. is only the Holy Spirit that backs us off of it. I do not feel a need to kill you, though, Counselor Mark. Well, that's because of the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel no animosity towards you. Well, I great. <laughs> <laughs> I'd hate for you to reach through the microphone and beat me like a speed bag. It'd <laughs> be a real bummer. Well, there's a lot uh, of guys know, I mean, out wait. there that they're not imposing. They don't have – my wife tells me I'm intimidating not because of my – I have overt aggressiveness because I don't. But You're just a you big know, guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big guy. I, I can have a very serious look on my face. I can be yeah. very, very intense. And as a result, I have to be really, really careful how I approach people especially when there's an issue, if there's a problem or something like that, because I'll throw people up on their guard really quick with no intent. You know, I don't, I don't even, I'm not even thinking that way. It's not even, that thing is not even occurring in my mind at all. I might be just happy as a clam and want to just go talk to somebody, but I lean forward or I do something and, and, and it puts people off their guard a little bit. So uh, I have my to be- dad, my dad was that way. I'd look up at him. I go, dad, what did I do? He'd go, Nothing. Why? Why? Did you do something? No. <laughs> Tell me why I got to hit you now. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> my dad was that way, so I can yeah, I can tell, I can tell, I can see that's probably you got that same thing my dad had. You just got this certain look, this certain look you'll go into, and people, people, they fear that. People run from that. Yeah, especially <laughs> when I get really deep in thought. Yeah. You know, if I'm if I'm concentrating on something and and somebody looks across, I've had people look across the sanctuary at me and wonder, you know. What in the world was I so upset about? And I wasn't upset about anything. You yeah. know, my I'm just sitting there thinking about, you know, whatever the pastor's talking about or something that relates to it or whatever's going on, you know, and uh there's just, you know, an intensity, but it's not anger. I I can tell you this, and one of the reasons you and I got together and started talking about doing these shows, you know, about emotions, because we're gonna talk about anger and we're gonna talk about fear, and we're gonna talk about love. Because a lot of people have some very serious misconceptions about love. And then another one I want to talk about is anxiety. There's because four. I think, yeah, I think anxiety is probably – and we should probably do love last because, uh, you know, we ought to come out of this feeling good. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so I mean, but I think good- anxiety is not really an emotion as, su- as such, but it triggers so many things that uh, it is – undoubtedly a huge thing to deal with and it's something i deal with all the time for those of you who aren't you know big book people like mark counselor mark anxiety that's another word for (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna get me oh oh, my lippy oh no no that's when you get up under your blankets and you just let your eyes peek out and you're just like, I'm never coming out again. Oh, man. Yeah, we they got are going to cool find stuff. a skeleton in my bed because I am never coming out. You know, I've got a lot of questions to ask you about these other emotions, but anger, uh, believe it or not, is not something that I've had dealt with a lot personally in my personal life. So well, a lot of lucky these quest- for us, I have. Oh, cool. <laughs> Oh, cool. So we ha- we can actually have a discussion. <laughs> it's hard to make me mad. You have to. I'm one of those guys that I just want. You just can't make me mad until you you got to start slapping on me, or you got to accuse me of being slow. You got to accuse me. You got to walk away for a few hours and come back and ask me why it's not done yet. Then I'll start getting angry. And yeah. I'll tell you what. That's one of those guy things. Is and it? what I do, what I did is, is, is let's say it was me. Let's say I'm whoever in charge enough to have permission to ask you that question. Right. Yeah. And I say, all right, you do this thing here, whatever you longshoremen do. I think it has something to do with you know fish, and it's unseemly. But no, um, it has to do with unloading ships. Okay. <laughs> uh, so not- I'm like, you need to do this thing, and then I walk away and I come back four hours later, and I'm like, dude. How come you didn't get this done? You know, what's your problem? How come you couldn't focus on this? And what I have done right there is I have walked up to you and I have said, Johnny, you're completely inadequate. And I wish you weren't even here. I'm already getting pissed now. I'm going to kick your ass right now. You're ready to reach through through this mic and slap yourself. It's a good thing you're 2,000 miles away from me, Mark. Yeah, for more than one reason. So... (laughs) Because you can't smell me from there. Oh, because, well, you know, you longshoremen, you, you're you're a ragged bunch. 
Well, yeah. Living on the edge, man. Edge of the edge of the dock. Edge so, of something. But but that's a biggie for people right there. You really? Know? And what happens? I'll tell you how it plays out for guys. And and there's going to be people out there that are going to hear us and go, eh, I'm not like this or blah 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 blah. blah. And I, you know, there's exceptions to all the rules and whatnot. But oh, you yeah. got to operate with something. But for guys, what'll happen is is that they'll get that kind of thing in their work and uh, in the in their home environment if like their children aren't paying them any mind or respect but what happens is is guys will get this thing at their work that addresses their inadequacies okay and anger almost entirely springs from a sense of inadequacy which causes us humiliation and causes us to feel ashamed i'm not good enough and again it's i'm not kidding man you look at the story of cain and abel and that wraps up human anger completely and uh because then, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because Cain's sacrifice wasn't good enough. He felt inadequate, right? I mean, right. That's just. But he I'm was the one who chose. He was the one who here. chose the, the 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 unseemly sacrifice. Right. Though. Yeah, but he figured it would be good enough, which it wasn't. But it was his bad. Then when, so and he's, then he's addressed with an inadequacy, and God's, you know, his brothers, his brother didn't say anything to him. No, his brother that's the just thing. goes and worships God and does his thing. Cain looks at this. And God comes down and says, well, I'm rejecting this. Now, they, it could have gone completely different. But what Cain did is, is he took that whole thing and bundled it up and went over and said, you know what? You know, he didn't look at it and go, I've got to figure out a way to be as good as my brother or to follow my brother's awesome example. He was like, nope, I'm going to huff and puff and I'm going to blow his head down. Yeah. And, and he beat him down, you know, and, and that, that thing lives in us and in guys – you see that sense of inadequacy, you know, and that inability to cope or inability to deal, to not be enough of a man to deal with something. What they do is they bring that home and they bring home that language of deficiency and then they hose the decks with it. And then their kids don't want to be around them and their wife then feels inadequate. And when the wife feels inadequate, she's got this long burn fuse, right? Right. And so she just starts that thing cooking, and over time, finally, it hits the dynamite. But, you know, it's, it's like she'll just keep feeling worse and worse, and she'll close off more and more and more. And she'll continue to emotionally, you know, abdicate from the situation. She'll just back out. She doesn't want to be around some guy who's awful, who's angry, who's no fun, who isn't the fun-loving, awesome guy that he was when they were dating or whatever, whatever it is. Unless she's utterly dysfunctional and just loves to have relationships with really mad people, but it um, happens. Oh, more often than not, <laughs> and uh, shouldn't laugh, but well, anyway. you know, if we can't laugh, then what are we going to do? Yeah, really. But we just sit here and cry on the Iron Show. No, uh, we're uh, men. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're men. We're men. And tight, tight. Men don't but, cry but, on the Iron Show. We laugh. No, that's right. <laughs> we we speak in anguish. <laughs> yes. So it's so there. Language of so what happens is is then you get this dynamic where the guy feels inadequate. He comes home. He acts horrible, and then his wife can't deal with him, and then he feels inadequate. So then let's say he decides that he wants to drive to the hoop, you know, and and him and his wife, you know, get busy. And she's like, no, I'm not having anything to do with you. Well, that, again, that there's more humility, just humiliation going on right there, and it compounds. 
and you just get anger. And what happens is, is in younger guys, you know, like kids, you'll see those kids, you know, you see the one that's kind of the one that's going to go along with whatever. And you see the one who's going to be independent and get into trouble a little bit or whatever. But you see that one guy who's just angry. He's, he's, he's the one that's closest to popping his fuse really, really fast. And at the same time, he's right away. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean to do that. Well, that's the guy who, uh, if his parents don't handle that right, if his parents don't help him deal with anger, he's going to learn that pattern. And that's going to become the tool that he uses aggressively, because now I'm talking about aggressive anger. Um, he's going to use that overtly, aggressively, to control his life, to control his situations, because one of the first things that any healthy person needs to learn is that the only emotions they are responsible are for their own, and they cannot in any way, shape, or form, shape or form control or change or power over someone else's emotions. So do we have a lot of clear-cut cases of uh, people getting into trouble like uh, when they try to uh, get a handle on their spouse's emotions? Oh, I mean, absolutely. That That's a- like a, for in marriage or in dating, you know, and there's tons of people across the country who are shacked up. If you hear me over this show uh, and you're a Christian and you're shacked up, go get married. Please just do it. You're acting like you're married. You Just go get married. So that's my advice about that. Commit. Right. And up, commit. So anyways. But what uh, does that have to do with controlling the other person's anger or emotions? Nothing. I just got on my soapbox. Oh, that's, yeah. Well, yeah. Me too, you. I I feel the same way. Yeah, you can't. uh, yeah, you can't expect God to get in there and do any healing or any uh, any kind of work if you're living outside His will to begin with. I mean, come on, you know. Yeah, if you I, love you each know. other. Get married. If you don't, then you know, go find somebody you do love and marry them. Hello, right. you know. Don't shack up. Don't shack up. Don't so shack it out. We should. We could sell T-shirts with the Iron Show logo on the back and on yeah. the front. It says, "Don't shack up." Don't shack up. Don't shack up. <laughs> So we can uh, write a song. Oh, <laughs> remember that one? Might as well go for a cola. <laughs> no, no, but that one. sounds good. Oh my gosh, we could write one. You know, might as well go for you know a marriage. But anyways, yeah, yeah huh? <laughs> Boy, that would be so incredibly lame. Uh, but yeah, but still, I mean, but but so let's 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 get off let's get off the shack. Let's let's climb out of the shack here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, but I was I, well, I was asking you I was I was like so you run into trouble when you you know well for the first thing is you said that you can't really uh, the only the only person's emotions that you should try to deal with ever are your own and exactly. then I ask you of course um, now do we run into problems uh, when we try to control somebody else's emotion. You know, emotions like, like, you know, a spouse or I guess a sister or a brother or I don't know, even a friend, I guess. I mean, that's something that do we even really actually uh, inadvertently try to do? Is that something we actually because I can't think of an example of overtly tried to control somebody else's emotions. But yeah, sure, I have. Sure, I can. Yes, I have. I have done that. Guilty. (laughs) Guilty. Guilty. <laughs> Guilty. Wait a minute. Yes, I have. And you're going to see the hanging oh, judge. Oh, 
It's like when you're, you know, when you're a kid and you try to manipulate your mom into doing something. Exactly. At first you try the, uh, wouldn't it be cool, you know? Wouldn't that be really cool? And if she doesn't going to go for it, and then you're like, but the, old, the other kids are doing I'm left out. So you try to plan, you know, you try to, you, you try all these different ways to get some emotional response that will... Uh, uh, elicit the kind of response, the end product, which you seek, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're trying to get at something. So you're trying to accomplish something. And, right. and the whole idea is, is, you know, you've, you've got this. And again, you know, like Cain was doing what he was doing to manipulate God. And that is. Oh, the story of, and, and so what you've got is you've got this guy who's trying to manipulate God. His brother comes by it honestly, and God blesses him where God is complete in charge of the entire thing and pours this down, right? And so he acts in love, and God responds in grace. Well, Cain acts in a manipulative way to hold back the good stuff and give God, you know, what he, he, he'll part with, and that's pride. And so he'll give that away. And then God looks at it and says, no, I don't, you know, obedience is better than sacrifice. And, okay. and Cain's like, pfft. Well, I'll show you. I'll go knock off your favorite. And, and and so there's so many facets and dynamics to that whole thing. But, yeah, in countless homes all around the world right now, people are coming home or they're in their home. And there's things – there's a power struggle, a constant power struggle because Jesus isn't the Lord of their homes. They're trying to be. And they'll put on Jesus like a shirt, you know, and they'll walk him around. But – but actually having be the Lord of their home is a different thing because you surrender control. And when you surrender control to God, you're telling him, here is my anger. This is my natural fleshly reaction to being out of control, to being afraid, to being humiliated, to feel inadequate, all these different things. And you take that and you give it to God and you say, okay, you know what, God? You're my defender. You're the one who says who I am. You establish my identity you're the one that says I am adequate to the task because you have made me adequate to the task. And that's, it's like salvation by grace that no man can boast. There is nothing that we do that is redeemable, that is in any way, shape, or form outside of the grace of God. We are not acting like Christ unless Christ is acting. And so, Wait a minute. Know, Explain that better. It's all I, will. I'm afraid that went over everybody's head because okay. it almost escaped my grasp. I mean, I, I caught it, but just barely. I got my fingernails and like, you know, parts of like parts of like um, it are stuck under my fingernails still. But it, I think it still got away from me for the most part. Okay. Okay. So uh, when when you're in when you're dealing with anger and you're dealing with these emotions and you're trying to you're trying to submit, you want to submit to the Lord. You have to understand that it's it's a grace relationship still. You know, we're saved by grace. We live by grace. We walk in the Spirit. And it's the Spirit that enables us, you know, to deal with things. I got upset about something myself just two days ago, and it had to do with some money and some stuff I want to do repair-wise to the house. And my daughter's car needed tires, and I went and got tires for it today. But, you know, tires aren't cheap anymore like they were, you know, 20 years ago oh, when no. I keep comparing the price to. And, yes. and so I'm all uppity about the money. And you know what it is? It was, it was a sense of loss of control. 
it was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do the stuff I've got to do. And the house looks bad on the outside. And there's this and this and that. And I'm in my car and I'm driving. And you know what God says to me? He says, Mark, the house is always going to be there. But your daughter won't. Right. Focus on what matters. The house will be there. Yep. You've got a good roof. You've got a good foundation. Everything in the middle. It's probably going to be standing. It was built in 52 and it's still here. Yep. And so it's like, okay, I'll relax. I'll, I'll give this to you and I'll take care of the immediate needs that keep everybody moving like they need to. My daughter needs the tires because she's got to drive a ways to get to work, which she's going to start next week. It's, but it's those moments when the Holy Spirit, if you want him to, if you bend your will to that, you know, in submission, then you hear from him. He's the one that tells you, you don't need to be upset about this because, and then there's a reason for it. But what happens is, is we have to really dig into why we get angry and what is, what's leading us down that path. What are the causes? What are the different things occurring? Triggers. What are the triggers? Because everybody's got trigger points. Things that somebody says, things that you know, certain people do, and whether it's in their home, outside of the home, at work, at church. In all of our relationships, we've got trigger points. And when someone hits that trigger point and our anger starts to come up, what we have to do is allow ourselves to be trained by the Holy Spirit. If we ask for awareness of our anger, of when we get that button pushed, then the Holy Spirit will indeed be faithful and will tell us when that button's getting pushed. You know, and I was sitting in my car and I was upset and I'm feeling inadequate because I can't get my house fixed. And there's these things I want done and I'm thinking to myself, and I'm, I'll be thinking, you know, my neighbor over, you know, here's trying to sell their house and someone will cruise the neighborhood and see that my siding needs replaced and they're going to think it's awful. I've never even met that neighbor selling the house. I have no idea what they're doing. Right. But in my mind, I have constructed this scenario where I come out looking bad. And because I'm going to look bad, I have to do something about it. And then somebody comes along and takes away the means for me to look okay. And the means for me to look okay is to fix my house, right? Well, it turns out my neighbors don't care because they don't even bother to talk to me. Why do they care about what my house looks like? Yeah, really. And, yeah, the Holy Spirit says, look, Mark, it's okay if your house looks like a crack house as long as your daughter has good tires. <laughs> what if you? What if your house was on the street of dreams and your daughter plowed into a semi because she had bald tires? Yeah. And you went, what? Wait a minute. Thank you, Spirit of God. Yeah, and, and if people would take the time to carry out their anger to its logical conclusions, then they would start to gain insight on why they're mad in the first place. Wait a minute. What was the logical conclusions there that I'm perhaps I missed and everybody else got? The logical conclusions was I'm inadequate because because my house looks like a crack house and I need it needs paint and it needs a new gutter on the front and now my neighbor's gonna think I'm lousy. Wait a minute, okay, my neighbors don't talk to me anywhere, so they don't probably care anyway, so I'm just upset about it. nothing after all. Do I want my daughter on bald tires? No. Okay. Now I'm all better. That's exactly it. Really? That is exactly it. That's what you do. And when you start to get mad, like, uh, it's like trying to be white or white. Oh, my gosh. It's like trying to be right. Like Michael Jackson when he was trying to be white? 
<laughs> you know, today, I think today is like the anniversary of when he died. What? His first year. Oh, right they on. Were playing all his, they were playing all his videos on TV. But, I like um, Michael Jackson. I, and I'm, I'm a huge always fan. Did. Huge fan. Me oh too. my God. Always loved Michael Jackson. Anyway. <laughs> Those off the wall days, I think that's really you know Thriller. Uh, oh yeah, but, Billy uh, Jean. I, I know every single word to Billy Jean. I can sit here and sing it, but I'm going to spare all you Iron Show listeners and Mark Breton. That's cool. That torture. That's real cool. See now I don't have to get upset. <laughs> We've taken Michael Jackson out to his logical conclusion, and we're back to anger. Yeah, <laughs> that's where everything goes. But <laughs> I'm definitely going to get upset if you start singing Michael Jackson. Okay, we'll just back no, right off of that one. one. So, so again, anger the way I the way I see it, the way I've seen it in my own life, and I've been dealing with it a lot. You know, I talked to you in some emails about getting up on the mountain and and having to get some perspective and deal with the Lord Almighty. You know, yes. right straight up front. You went and through it was a, about uh, anger. It was oh, about. Was. You know, it was so funny because you and I started talking oh. about it, and it started getting worse for me. Really, and, I, and my flashpoints just all started coming up, and was, it was like, "Why am I so mad?" Was that making you angry? No, because we only talked every now and then. So, okay. could have been you, unless <laughs> I was mad that you weren't talking to me more often. Just I can't the idea about just the idea of Johnny pisses you off. Something you know. about you, man. I don't know. <laughs> Something about you. I remind you of that bully that used to pick on you in the playground. Yeah. Mark, you little queer. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now you sound like my older brother. <laughs> oh, no. You're probably bigger than me, Mark, and I would never, I would never, ever actually give you a bad time. Oh, my either. gosh. I would punch you so hard to chest your shoulders and meet the middle. <laughs> oh, well, my, my ancestors would feel it. <laughs> Uh, me bones, me bones. <laughs> my great grandma rolled over. You know, in her I, I'm actually I haven't been in a fight in a long time. Oh, me neither. Um, when I was a kid, I was a scrapper. Yeah, uh, me too. But, but I was a real little kid, and uh, it was it was just kind of weird. But but uh, my anger stuff had a lot to do with feeling out of control and trying to find a way to get in control, and it had to do with work. It had to do with money. Uh, it had to do with just a lot of stuff. And, and it really, at the very core of it, was, you know, who was I allowing to tell me who I really was as That's a person, as a, as a Christian? Not who that, was I actually allowing to tell me that? A lot of times we end up losing more control than we had to in the beginning when we let our anger just go. Yeah, because when you start spinning out of control. Yeah. Yeah, everybody laughs. <laughs> yeah, or or you actually lose more grip on your life than you had to begin with. You, you know, know, you look at these guys that are in jail, and so many yeah. of them. I visit jail sometimes, and I see these guys, and and they're, they'll you know start blaming a lot of other people for what went wrong. But you talk about angry. You know, anger is the biggest thing. And you, see, I, I watch videos on YouTube. You know, people send me links, and a lot of them are just cops pulling people over. And and God bless them. That's a dangerous job. But, oh yeah. And people are just like, you're not telling me to get out of this car. You're not this and that. I pay your salary. That's like the worst thing in the world to say to a cop. Oh yeah. But, but why would you be so upset? Because he pulled you over, right? Yeah. Why? 
Yeah, exactly. You have to ask yourself that. Why am I? Why so would upset you be so? Upset? That I got pulled over. He's actually he's gotten into your control grid. He's putting, he's exercised control over you and taking you out of your own uh, grip. Grid. Is that? I think that's a fantastic phrase. Control grid. Cool. They're, those are the walls and the boundaries that we set up. The electric fence that we throw all up around us. And if you start messing with it, then we start getting antsy. And uh, and uh, it, it reminds me of the wire that they put around bases in the military when they're overseas, like over in Afghanistan or whatever. You know, they've got a trip wire, and if somebody hits it, a flare shoots up into the air. Oh. And so they know where to shoot. Oh. And to me, anger is very much like that. Anger is the trip wire, and when somebody hits that thing, the flare goes off and we start shooting. And uh, – and and again, it's 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 who's telling me who I am. And if, if any, you know, the people listening to the show today, the one thing I want you to learn that you can walk away with one thing to start getting your anger into control is when you get mad. You know, they tell you to count to ten, and it's a good idea. But when you get mad, believers, stop and ask yourself: Okay, am I telling myself who I am, or is the Lord God telling me who I am? Because if it's not Jesus telling me who I am, then I'm messing up. And that's when you have to stop. And that's when you'll get control of your anger. Because if you are allowing the Holy Spirit to tell you who you are and where you need to be heading emotionally, then you're not going to worry about your wife who's picking a fight. And I'll tell you why your wife is picking that fight. Because if she can keep you angry, then she has an excuse for not liking you. And she doesn't like you anymore because she's bitter because you've treated her bad. And there it is. There's the circle. And so anger becomes bitterness. And so you hurt somebody's feelings so many times. That's, that's the, what I would say is generally kind of maybe the female side of things. I see this in counseling when I deal with families is that the wife is just, man, oh, man, that seething, hot, burning, deep bitterness and anger towards the husband and the husband of course is at these flashpoints and uh and f- as a father you know they're just like you know when their kid doesn't mow the yard right or something doesn't go right you know and and uh and it's just ugly and everybody in the place is being ugly and nobody's listening to god you know god says that we are first and foremost his child and being his child comes with an obligation of lordship you know and uh, and so we we have to ask ourselves when we get mad, do we believe that? Do I believe when I'm angry that God is the God of the universe who has bought me for a price and has said, you are my child, and then he's given me a book that tells me everything I need to know and think about how I act. You know, whatever is good, whatever's lovely, whatever's honorable, whatever is excellent, if any of these things re- abide in this, Think on those things, right? Well, that's what he says I have to do. Think on those things. It's and not you know, something like we you, do by and, default. No, it is not our nature. But like you pointed out, and like I said, you know, I said follow it to its logical conclusion, and you did. You walked out the daughter scenario where she had bad tires. And she told me when we got home, she was like, you have no idea how much better the car drove on the way home than it did before I got to the tire shop. Oh, yeah. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? This is so much more awesome 
than how I felt a few days ago thinking about having to spend all this money on tires and highway robbery and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and they're it's saying like, that is way better than a coat of paint on the front of the house. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Because I know that she's not going to get in a wreck. Yeah. Her, you know, she's not going to have a blowout and everything go nuts and, and endure, even if she just goes off the side of the road, just have to endure that. Oh, yeah. She doesn't have to endure that. And so, Trauma. you know, and again, and that's an excellent thing, you know, and God wanted me to think about that when I knew her tires needed replaced. He was like, this is a good thing. You'll replace her tires. Her car will be safe. Now, that's the excellent side of it. You know what I mean? And everybody has to buy tires. Everybody. It's not a new thing. It's not like all of a sudden I hit the lottery of lousiness. And I'm the one out of, you know, 17 million people that has to go buy tires. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. this All sucks. fathers buy oh, their daughters yeah, tires. Every, every, mean, everybody buys tires almost, for their cars. Yeah. And all, so a lot, like, most fathers have spent a pretty penny on tires, you know, and other, and other car parts for their daughters' cars. Because, we, you know, we want our daughters to get, you know, from A to B safely. You know, I mean, exactly. that's... And that's worth so much more than a nice looking house. I mean, I'd rather live in a crack house. Have my well, the thing is, it's like God car. told me: I have time. I have time to work on the house, and the fixing I can do can be a hundred bucks there, you know, a hundred bucks there, and, and here, and 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 this one thing was more important. And again, we you walked it out to its logical conclusion. I'm thinking about the neighbors, and I'm thinking about me and I look like I'm in a crack house and I'm poor and it's like I, I'm irresponsible. And that's what's going through my mind is I'm irresponsible. Am I being a good steward? Well, you know what? Like I said, my neighbors, I drove around the neighborhood and my house isn't looking that much worse than anybody else's really. There you go. And it's not going to take a whole lot to fix it. <laughs> Mine <got> is. <laughs> yeah. For your, for your, just for your information, for your edification, mine is looking a whole lot worse than yours. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. Oh, when, when you just pray for faulty wiring. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, and I've got them, too. Just Sometime when I'm all – well, you know, I almost had something like that happen. It's just a – I'll be a very quick side note, you know. Uh, my dryer quit working. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, oh, man. That made you angry. Turning. And I'm thinking to myself, great, I'm going to have to buy a dryer. And, and I thought, well, I can fix appliances, so yeah. let me get into it and see what we got. Oh, yeah. The part, it, it was a $3.50 part. Yeah. And it was the part that turned the heater element on and off. Well, it's a good thing it went out. You know why? Because I got behind there and pulled the panel off, and I've got a bunch of lint. It's a 30-year-old dryer, and I bought it used. Oh, it would have you been a I mean? big, God was saving you from a big old house fire. Exactly. Now I could have got all kinds of mad and thrown a fit oh, yeah. and not done what I was supposed to do. And what I was supposed to do as a man, and I'm not saying women can't fix appliances, I mean taking responsibility. Yeah. As I stepped up, I looked at that and I said, I need to get that dryer out of there and I need to look at it and see what's going on before I make any decision. Don't get mad at it. It's a dryer. Yeah. It didn't do this to me. It didn't look at me and go, Mark, I'm going to get back at you for all the times you've made me work. It's just, this isn't, you know, a 16-year-old kid you tell to mow the yard. You know, this is just a dryer. And so I dug it out and I looked at it. And sure enough, this thing is sparking and coming apart, this particular uh, switch. And it's surrounded by lint. You know, because it's just nobody's opened this up and cleaned this out for 30 years. And, and it was a fire waiting to happen big time. And so 
you know, as much as I joke around about how great it would be to kind of have the house burned down a little bit. Oh, yeah, bit, you like don't want to go through that. Not no, really. you don't. And all those people out there that have suffered house fires are like, you need to shut up, fool, because yeah. I know what that is. Yeah. And, and so, again, it's one of those instances where I'm going to allow God to tell me who I am. It's identity. And, you know, it's, it's just when Adam and Eve were in the garden and the devil said, you can be like gods. Right. You can be in control. You, you can, can have that control fate. grid. You can, you can decide your own destiny. You can do this thing. Right. And you know what, brother? You are not in control of anything no, other than like, your choices. We like to think we are, don't we? But we're not. Exactly. And as soon as that cage gets rattled, we're just screaming all over the place. Oh, yeah. And, and it has long-term repercussions. Uh, we might make the bad decision of driving aggressively when someone cuts us off. I'll tell you what. You want to see a submitted Christian? You're going to see somebody who yields to every knucklehead on the road. Yeah. Without complaining. Yeah. You know why? Because if I will back up and let that guy in, I just avoided an accident. That's how I am. That must speak well for my Christianity. <laughs> or something. <laughs> because we know you're not driving a nice enough car to not want to get the paint scratched. I so. have. Actually, I do. I have a BMW Z3 Roadster, the same one that oh. James Bond drove in Goldeneye. Thank you very much. Dog. Yes, Dog. I do. I'd love to have a cool car. Yes, it's the only nice thing I've ever owned in my life. Wow. Yeah, of course, it's a beater, <laughs> but still. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fix it, but it looks good in Oh, the no, drive. I can fix it. <laughs> in oh, fact, man. I just spent uh, probably 48 hours under the hood of that thing a few weeks ago and did fix it myself because I couldn't afford to have anybody else fix it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, was, I really liked uh, how you said uh, that uh, – you know there are, there are no redeemable qualities on our own. We can't rely on ourselves. You didn't say this, but the way I took it was we can't rely on our on ourselves and our hum, on our humanity to solve any problem. To to we can't rely on our humanity to to help us deal with our anger that only can come from surrender to Jesus to the holy spirit let him exactly. step in and and guide us because on our own working it out apart from god we're own we're probably just going to make things worse i would imagine if not you know if not get anywhere at all well, i mean the best think about it this think about it this way if I could be like the nicest person on earth, and if I'm not a Christian, then I do not possess the ability to help anybody else get saved and avoid a separation from God for eternity. No. So being good doesn't matter. Nope. Right? That so let's say you. I'm a Christian, and then I start acting as if God is not my boss and not my dad and not my you know, parole officer and not yeah. my this or not my that, and I decide that I am. I'm Mark's the boss. I'm I'm going to set the tone here. And then, like my own boss that I used to work for, who was a diff difficult man, he he had anger problems and he was moody. Oh yeah, and Been there was there. a lot of stuff. And they came down and he thought he was sitting on Chrome, brother. And they came down and said, "You're done." And I mean, it came out of the blue for him, even though we warned him. You know, yeah. as as just employees were like, "Look, Bill, you know, you're going to run into problems here," and and. And sure enough, before you know it, they're down and they're like saying, look, you're, you're just not a team player. You're going to have to hit the road. 
it, that's the idea of control. That's the idea that we don't have it. You know, my company might roll up and fold this weekend. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, chances are good it's not, but we live and breathe in the grace of God. Yes. And when we choose to step outside of that, then we've decided we're going to be the master of our own fate. And I tell you what, man, I have not controlled any fate at all ever my entire life. We like to I think just, you we know, have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just but, never have. When I step back and I think about how big the universe is and you just keep on crunching it down and crunching it down to like right now, my computer that I'm using to talk to you for this might just very well quit. Oh, yeah. They've and, and, been known to do it. <laughs> should I get mad about it? They do every huh? day. <laughs> is it irritating? Yes. There's yes. things that they're just they're no fun, you know, and, and the, it says in Scripture that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. I believe that. The thing is, is that the, the spirit is supposed to win and it wins when we choose to walk in the spirit. And it's you know? interesting how we how it wins by us backing off. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's exactly like in my mind. It's counterintuitive. I, I have to look at it and go, right. You know, am I, why am I getting mad about this? I'll ask myself that question. And for those people who are listening, you know, we're talking about anger. If you want to figure out how to overcome anger, the very first thing you have to do is look it right in the eyeball and start calling it like it is. Okay. Why, why am, am I angry? angry? Why am I feeling angry right now? Think of, for instance, in your own life, Johnny, when you feel angry. When's the uh, last time you got mad? At my daughter. Okay, why? I went to go visit her and bring her a meatloaf because I knew she didn't have much food. And I opened the door and she said, what do you want? And I said, I just wanted to say hi, give you meatloaf. Why? Well, because you're my daughter. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Slam. <laughs> I walked away. I was so angry. And why were you angry? Because she, I brought her, I worked enslaved all day over a meatloaf to bring her, and she could have been nice to me when I, when she came to the door. Thanks for the meatloaf, Dad. Oh, hi. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I brought you meatloaf. Oh, great. Thanks. So, if you walk <laughs> this out to its logical conclusion, yeah, help in me. actuality... You worked over that meatloaf for you. Okay. You cooked that meatloaf, and you're thinking, I'm going to be a good dad, and I'm going to help her out, and I'm going to go give this to her. Right. And her reaction proved your motivation, or at least enough of your motivation to cause a negative reaction. I'm going to be a good dad, and I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to do this thing for her, and it'll be awesome because I'm awesome. And so you go over there and you give it to her and she's like, well, what are you doing here in the first place? It's okay. Well, we're off to a bad start already. It's like, all right, look, I don't like you. I don't want to be around you, whatever, however it played out. And then you finally give her the meatloaf and she's like, thanks. Boom. You know, and you're like, wait a minute. I want some credit here. I want some credit. I, I went to the hassle of cooking this meatloaf and then getting it ready and putting it in the car and driving over to your place to give you a meatloaf cuz you need something. Yeah. And then what did you do? You took it and you slammed the door on me. Yeah. Did I get any praise? Did I get any glory? No. No. 
Now, how much does that sound like God dumping on us constantly love and compassion and, and, and gracefulness? And what do, do we, we do? thank him for it? Do we take time to say thank you for saving my life, providing my needs, giving me shelter? No. Like no. my dad used to say, like, I don't get no thank you, kiss my ass or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know what? He continues to bless. It says he rains on the just and the unjust. That's right. The water's coming. The plants are growing. We're going to have a good crop, right? Yeah. It is in his best interest for his own glory to do these things. And he's glorified whether we respond well to it or not because he's always proven right. God's always right. So he doesn't get mad at us for not for us not being thankful, really. No. No. Cuz he's not God. A, he's gay. Yeah. He's can follow that to its log- logical conclusion, unlike here's, us. Here's the theological official theological reason why that works, okay? God is complete. God doesn't have to tell God he's okay. God right. doesn't have to stroke himself on the back and go, "You know what, God, you did good today. Right. Good job, buddy." Good job. You know, he doesn't have to reassure himself. He's God. He knows it. Exactly. He's God. All of the glory that exists in the entire creation and in his realm is his. And it's his rightfully, and he is utterly and completely complete. That means that nobody can go to God and say, you're a liar, dude, or anything like that, right? So he knows exactly who he is. Well, now you went to that doorstep and... She told you you were somebody else than you thought you were. Right. And what you did, what you have to do then in that moment is you have to go, you know what, Lord? She got food. You told me to give it to her, and I did it. I did this in obedience. I don't need to get upset because this was you in the first place. Now, if it had been God, if the, the what we do then is in that moment is we decide that our motivation is going to be that holy thing, that giving glory to God. We're not going to try to glom on his glory and take it to us. It's, oh, yeah. mis- a, it's a misappropriation of God's glory to be prideful. That's it's really his. good. That's really good. That that That's very good. That helps me right there. Yeah, and so when our pride comes up, then it wants to get fed. And, and when it right. can't get fed, then it gets, it gets angry. angry. And when it gets angry, then it uses that aggressive tool to yank – to pull out, to extract the thing that feeds the pride, the approval, the, the recognition, the, uh, the acknowledgement of adequacy that I'm good. If she had been like, oh, dad, thank you so much for this and no, 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 you know, she, it's just you'd have felt great and it would have been awesome. Yeah. But the even greater thing is the fact that you as a father are willing to prepare food for an ungrateful child and still take it over there, and still bear the insult. You know, Christ was obedient even unto death. And a lot it was of like, us why? have insulted him over that. Huh? And a lot of us have taken that and ungratefully and insulted him, thrown that back in his face. We should feel terrible. Then that goes way off. Of, I've totally derailed what you're trying to say. <laughs> But well, I mean, you know, it all. But still, yeah, I mean, pride, yeah, it, it, it's a circle that we can come around and we can continue to ride this unmerry go round of pride, anger, bitterness, 
inadequacy, pride, anger, bitterness, inadequacy, and just keep going around and around, oh. or we're going to find a spot where we finally break that cycle. It's a and cycle. That cycle it's gets a, broken. It's a feedback we, loop. Is what yeah, you're and saying. it gets broken. Finally, you know, you know how it is in sound equipment when you get a feedback. Yeah, loop? Yeah, so I was going to say it sounds like a feedback loop. Yeah, something's turned on too loud. Right. Some something is is imposing oh. itself into a system where it doesn't belong. Right. It's and hearing so itself, as, feeding off itself. It's a snake eating its own tail. It gets worse and worse and worse till somebody breaks the cycle by turning something down. Right. And that's what we need to do. We need to grab hold of something, turn it down. And that's usually our break, pride. Break that cycle, and that's usually our pride. And we can't do that for real without the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy because Spirit uh, gets in and shows us our pride, and then we can break it. Because of our own, we have no redeemable quality that could do that. No, we have no reason to. We have no invested interest in not being prideful. Oh, even out of self-preservation? It's dog-eat-dog, baby. Yeah, it is. And so it is self-preservation. If I can be more proud than you, then I have more control than you, and then I get to decide my own fate. Oh, wow. And then you step on the train tracks and get nailed. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Reality has its way of imposing itself on us regardless of what we think. That is true. You know? And and so we have to you have to as a to become a mature Christian, you have to let go of all of your presuppositions about what a wonderful human being you are. Right. And in that place you find freedom because that's where God says, "Now You've quit being the stubborn piece of clay I'm trying to make a pot out of. I'm going to make a pot that serves my purpose, and you're going to be good. And he's going to do it. And all I have to do is be moldable clay and not stiff-necked and not angry. Because at the root of it, that the root of all anger is, is all aimed at God, every lick of it. Really? All anger is eventually will find itself. It's just like creation. You know, the evolutionists will tell you that, you know, well, we evolved. Well, okay, how long did it take? Well, it took this many billion years. Okay, well, what was there before that? And what was there before that? And what was there before that? And, you know, and you keep going and going and going backwards. And you can just keep going backwards. And there's no responsibility in that system because the entire thing's an accident and nobody knows where it began. There's no value either. Exactly. Well, in Christianity, we know at the very base of things who is the foundation, who is the cause without cause. We know who started this party. And when we run out of dip, that's the guy we go to and say, hey, buddy, you're not keeping this thing going. (laughs) Right, I'm oh, that's it. beautiful, and and that's what it is. God started the party, He invited us, and then we get mad at Him for not doing what we want at His party. Right, and He puts these people and things in our lives that are there for the sole purpose of making us more Christ-like. Yes, we get to enjoy it. I love my wife; she's awesome. I love that relationship. I love you and our friendship. I've got friendships with a lot of other guys. Uh, and, and friends, you know, so, and, and it's like God blesses me with these people, but the sole intent, even my own ministry that I do, God is using it as the tools to shape me to look like him. 
And if I recognize that, then I realize he's the one who's really doing the work, and all I'm doing is allowing him to do it. We want to take credit, though, don't we? Oh, yeah. I'd love to take credit for how incredibly intelligent and awesome I am. I know. The fact of the matter is, so is pretty, exactly too. how God made me. It's his fault. <laughs> I was going to say, and you're so pretty, too. I know, right? I know, huh? Your goatee I got. I dye the, I dye, I'm dyeing my goatee hair gray just, you know, because I want to look extinguished. <laughs> you can hack this up if you need to and make it sound cogent. I can do anything so, I want. It's the iron. It's my show. That's I'm right, in baby. control. You're in control. You've got the power until they shut the power off. Anyways. Not- you can have a solar-powered uh, uh, computer. I am no so not sun, in control. Right? But the sun is going to burn out in about 5 billion years, so yes. we're still not in control. Yes, and you know, these computers, they seem to run by the will of the grace of God. It's something I've noticed uh-huh. after countless hours spending time with them. <laughs> they, seem to pun- they seem to function purely on the grace of God. Man, I'll say when you're trying to get anything good accomplished. <laughs> I mean, they're just they're they're a machine that's just bent on its own destruction, if you ask me. <laughs> Eat itself alive. Yeah. Like a bearing that's gone. You just hear the grinding and before you know it, everything's slag. Yeah. Oh, that sounds yeah. like our lives. I think a lot of people do that. You get one little part just spun out a little bit and once you finally start to get a grip on your anger and you start realizing who you're ultimately mad at, who you ultimately think should be giving you a better deal, you know, when you ought to be dead. If, oh. As long as you're, you're, you're waking up and sucking wind, God has given you everything you need. And, That's an interesting perspective. Well, I, we have to get all the way down to it. You got to all the way down to the bone, man. In our, in our mind and in our maturity, we have to take it to every logical conclusion so that we can make mature choices and the logical conclusion is is if i sit up paul said it he said to be here is uh oh man i'm trying to remember the verse you know to be in the body is to be serving god and to be out of the body is to be with the lord oh absent from the body present with the lord yep absent from the body is to be present with the lord yeah and 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 his whole thought process was i'm going to keep working and then when I'm done working, God will have me, and I'll be t- get to be with God. Right. And he's yeah. He also said uh, for me to die is gain. Yeah, but to live is Christ. Yes, to live. And is but Christ. that's where we have to. We get miss to, that part, don't we? Yeah. We, we 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 like to think about heaven, and we like to think, oh, for me to die is gain. But then we miss the second part. For me to yeah. live is Christ. Right? Yeah. And are are we going to do it, or is yeah. it for me to live is Mark? Yeah. Right. You know? That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, And so what happens is, is, and this is the thing that angry people don't get, and this is something that, and, I'm, I, on it, and I struggle with anger, so for those people who deal with anger, and by, when I say I struggle with it, my struggle is the undercurrent of, of uh, just really pent up emotion about control. And so I do understand that feeling, and I'm not I don't bark at people. I don't yell. I don't get out of my car and give people the finger. I'm not crazy that way. I'm crazy different ways. But um, that's not – I'm not overt in my anger too often. Uh, but it really, really continues to amaze me how if I will follow out my thought process 
I'm actually mad at God for giving me a raw deal. I mean, that's what it always comes down to is, is that I'm holding God accountable. You know, it's like Adam said, well, the Lord, it was this wife you gave me, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're so ready to cast off the blame and we're so willing to take all the credit. Yeah. And, and yeah. And we're so willing to throw the blame right at God, you know, when things just don't go the way we think they should. Yep. You know, that we a, just don't recognize that we are a small part you know, stones in the living wall that, that were like, you know, when people think about when Paul said, you know, we're all a part of the body and does the eye say to the foot or the hand or however that went. I you have know, no need of thee. Yeah, but we, I think a lot of us think that we're like, like, uh, like we are the eye, you know, and I think I'm just one cell floating along in this entire thing. And my only purpose is to serve. I, I do one function and that's what happens. And it's just being willing to not be important and let God decide what he wants to do with us. I am the outer flake on a toenail myself. <laughs> <laughs> I am a dead cell that consists of your hair. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the most humble dudes I've ever engaged in. I don't, I've never talked to the guy, but I've read some of his books. I've listened to him talk and, uh, I'm amazed at it. Is Billy Graham, and uh, and I tell you why. Oh, he yeah. is a humble guy. He's been all over the world. He's talked to more presidents than even the presidents have. Uh, yeah, he knows more of what's going on than anybody else. He's got a whole crowd of people that do all kinds of work for him. I got a he, go ahead, huh? Well, I got a story to tell you about Billy Graham. I I heard a story about this guy that got a chance to. Uh, I can't remember the Kemper Open. Whoever won that got a chance to play with the president in a foursome with uh, Billy Graham, the president, and oh, oh, Arnold Palmer every year. Oh, wow. This went on for like 10, 15 years. And whoever won the Kemper Open got a chance to do, be in that foursome uh, privately, you know, at a private club. And this huh. one guy was in it, and he came back and asked – the, his friend asked him, this is a true story, his friend asked him, uh, uh, how was it, what was it like playing with, you know, Arnold Palmer, Billy Graham, and, and the president, you know? And the guy was all mad. He goes, he goes, oh, he goes, I don't need to go at a for golf foursome to have uh, Billy Graham cram religion down my throat. And he was all mad. <laughs> and uh, it turned out, the guy, when the guy finally cooled down, he said, what, what did Billy Graham say to you? He goes, oh, he didn't say anything to me. I had just had a bad game. <laughs> this oh, guy like man. Billy Graham, just his presence alone would preach the gospel to you, you know. Yeah, and That's the, thing, the reason say. why it worked, Billy Graham was a clear channel, and all of us can be this. That's the cool thing about it, wherever we're at. All of us can be this clear channel that grace flows through because Billy Graham knows who he is without Christ. Yeah, that's a good point. And and I have taken the time to look at and realize who I am without Christ. Who is Mark Breton if Jesus wasn't his savior? I'm who would dead I be? myself. <laughs> I died yeah. about 15 years ago. <laughs> I died in prison. Yeah. Um <laughs> I just yeah, I just know what would happen if Jesus was not my Savior and my Lord. Oh, yeah. And, and Billy Graham has done all these incredible things, and if you talk to him, he will always talk about how 
he is so desperately in need of the grace of God constantly. And he reminds himself of that because he knows who he would be if it were not for the grace of God. I think St. Paul felt the same way. Oh, absolutely. He called himself the chief of sinners. And he knew he had been an angry man and a violent man and an evil, wicked man, you know? And then God actually, and see, and this is where we need to get to. And this is the place, again, where we start to not stop being angry. We just let go of the whole project. That's a good point. Say that again. I said, what happens is it's not that we stop being angry. We just let go of the entire project. Oh, man. Are making ourselves awesome. And Jesus came down, knocked Paul off his horse and said, you are going to learn how to suffer in my name, for my name. And Paul was like, you're the Lord. Yeah. And, and, and these are the attitudes that we've seen in front of us, modeled for us about contentment and about understanding the grace of God and who he is. And our anger then becomes a very clear choice that we have not trained our mind in Christ, that we have made choices that are to defend our pride, that we are not willing to be humble and obedient unto death, that you know, that we are not understanding that we are playing a significant role in the lives of others to make them either become Christians or to become more Christ-like. That what happens is, is that our need to feel good about ourselves, our need to misappropriate the glory of God is greater than the very lives of the people that we interact with. And that, to me, is demonic. It's pretty sad. It's pretty humanistic at any rate. It's, it, it is the human condition. But, see, we're believers. We're a different animal. Yeah. And, and so we don't have to do that. If you're somebody out there and you're hearing me talking about this and you have problems with anger, let me tell you something. You don't have to. You, it's not your nature. It is not who you're supposed to be. You can't say, oh, well, this is just how I'm wired. Well, you were wired for death, buddy. And the Lord came down and changed that, and you're alive. You are a new creation, and that means that you don't have to ex- embrace that anger you don't have to be mad at God for giving you the raw deal for your boss, your lousy job, your lousy car, your lousy house, your lousy finances, your whatever. Whatever it is, your wife, kids, whatever it is, your girlfriend, you know, your boyfriend, your grades in school, all these different things that set you off. If you're a believer, you do not have to choose that. You do not have to choose anger as your solution. It is a choice. You can't just blame it, you know, blame it on your wiring now. Your wiring has been changed. And every time you get angry, you're choosing to get angry. Now, there's a lot of healing and there's a lot of letting go of bitterness. And there's a lot of time that you have to spend before the Lord exploring why you're angry and why you might have angry roots. You know, why you're mad in, in, a, in a big sense. Why that big chunk of anger pours out of you into all these other areas of your life and poisons them. And you need to get down and figure out what is the thing that's making me such an angry person. And it could very well be that your dad maybe just treated you horrible as if you weren't valuable, didn't take care of you like you needed to be taken care of. Well, believe it or not, it's that experience 
that you get to take forward to speak to that kid who's growing up in a home whose father is unkind. And you can say to that child then, you know what? Right now things are difficult, but it will make you mature and you will learn how to walk with the Lord in a deeper way because of it. And then in turn, you will go on to tell somebody else about how the Lord was able to work in your life despite the fact that this thing was going on in your life. You know, I grew up in a horribly abusive home, and I've got all kinds of reasons, according to the world, to be completely misbehaving and compensating and doing things that I want and living, you know, off the government check or whatever it is, however I got hosed. I have all kinds of reasons for that. If you look at my life, I was homeless and and blah, 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 blah. And you know what? I became a Christian. All those things dropped right off the map. They don't matter anymore. All that stuff is not important. The only thing that matters is the glory of God. And every time I get mad and act out in that anger, I'm messing that up. I'm sullying that. God's glory doesn't change. It's just like I'm holding up things that block it for other people. And you know what the word is for blocking light? Um, oh. Occult. Okay. I did not know that. Blocking light is a, is a cult. Really? Yeah. Being opaque? Is a yeah. Cult. If you look up the word occult. Yeah, it's hidden. It means, it means hidden. Hidden from the light. Exactly. Blocking and so light, every time you hide the light, you're doing the occult. You are acting in rebellion with the devil himself. You know, Charles Stanley, uh, Charles Stanley likes to say a lot of times, uh, he says, uh, oh, I can't stand it when people say to me, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. He goes, you are not a sinner saved by grace. You are now a saint of the almighty God, and it's time you start acting like one. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, man. That's it. Do you not know you were bought with a price? Right. I mean, we had a price on our head. We cost God something, and he owns us now. And there's something else that we don't like to remember. We're owned. We're property. We're slaves. Yeah. I mean, on this side of the veil, we're slaves. And then when we get to heaven, we're going to spend so much time on our face that nothing else is going to matter. That is my new exploratory theology about uh, the loss of salvation. I, I keep running into this teaching about the loss of salvation through willful sin and i've developed this exploratory theology that shows how since you were bought with a price and that you're not your own you no longer have a will with which to create which with to willfully sin you can't willfully sin that's why paul said it is no longer i that sin but sin which dwells within me so anyway that's a whole it's a other. Big, big, yeah, it's a big, big topic. That's a big topic, <laughs> and a whole greater, other story. <laughs> greater men than us have debated that subject. Yes, they um, have. Yes, they have. We do. We do have that choice about anger, though. We have that choice about control, and we have that choice about how we're going to live. And uh, it's up to us, you know. And, but we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to throw the brakes on our train wreck and go, you know what? I don't need to do this. I don't need to be angry. You know, it's, it, 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 and you have to take it down to the very basic level. And it's just like, you know, Paul said, you know, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And when we can get to that point where 
we're totally willing to go whenever it happens, and we see the life and death struggle that we are involved in and that people get caught in our crossfire and lose when we become angry, that we become a, 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 we become a, a force of the occult, that we hide the light from other people with our anger and make it difficult for them to get to see God. And I'm bringing this around here is yeah, right I'm bringing on. around the story. And that is, is when Jesus went into the temple, what he saw all around him was the occult. He saw all these things that were in place to block the light, to block the access of those Gentiles to be able to come into the temple and experience the light of God, which the Israelite nation was supposed to be. And that's why God got mad at them when they were out in the desert and they were in their country and they were disobedient and they were idolatrous is because they were supposed to be representing the light of the world so that the world would get saved. And they didn't do it. And whenever they got lost and they wouldn't do it, what did he do? He turned them over to their own flesh and let them be taken away so that they could learn one more time who they really were and who they needed to submit to and that they were the light of the world. And there they are in that temple and Jesus comes in there and says, you know, my father's house is a house of prayer. And he wrecks this place so that those people can enter back into there, into that courtyard and be in the presence of God. And we have to do that in our own lives. And we have to take all those tables and edifices of anger and control and bitterness and jealousy and all that ugliness. And we have to take that and just throw it out, drive it out of the temple of our hearts and stop blocking the light for other people by our just horrible attitudes. And as soon as we will do that, as soon as we understand that we have to do that, that until we do that, we will not only be a hindrance to ourselves, but we will be doing possible deathly harm to others, eternal consequences, until we tackle that topic, until we deal with ourselves before God in humility with this stuff, then our anger will continue to keep people from getting into right relationship with God. And that is what our anger costs. That's a horrible, horrible price. And yet we think we're so do it. Yes. You know, we think we have a right to our anger, and we don't. Our anger is death. Our anger, pride kills. That's the saying that my kids, I came up with a long time ago, and my kids come chuckle about it every now and then, but I'm going to get bumper stickers made that say that. Pride kills. Amen. It, it does. It kills. It keeps people from heaven. In all manner, it kills relationships. It kills our own relationship with God. It kills our our own health. It's just pride is 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 the thing. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about sin, and he said, you know, all these sins of the flesh will drive us to the Father. He said, but the sin of pride is the worst one because we won't admit that we have a problem and go seek God. And that's why the devil is irredeemable. It's a I can come up with all kinds of theological reasons why Satan can't get saved. Yes, it's a, he won't get saved. Pride is That's a lockout. Pride is a he, lockout. Yeah, pride is the thing that takes us out of it completely. And pride is the thing that makes us angry. It's hurt, but why are we hurt? Yeah, we shouldn't be hurt. Jesus already did that for us. He already so we took take that. that hurt, we take that hurt and we look at it. We take it before the Lord and we acknowledge it. And then we say, okay, Lord, what are you going to do with this hurt to help me become more like you? You know, what are we going to do? 
when Cain failed and Abel succeeded, Cain should have said, Lord, I failed. I didn't do this right. What do I need to do? How do I honor you? That's what we need to do instead of go killing our brother. And that's what I've got to say about anger, buddy. Right on. Dude, it has been a brutally eye-opening iron show. And uh, for, for, for any of you, uh, you that have more questions, uh, we'll have links in the show notes. You'll be able to get a hold of uh, Counselor Mark and ask him a few questions via email. He's always around to shoot an email back to you. And uh, we're going to end our traditional Iron Show with our traditional one, two, three, goodbye. Does that sound like a plan, like a counselor, Mark? I can do this. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. And our next session, we're going to deal with another emotion. So stay tuned. We're going to talk about fear. 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 The mind killer, like they say in Dune. I will not fear. I will let my fear pass through me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. On. Oh, I've read. Oh, I know all about it, baby. Fear is the mind killer. The little death that brings along alliteration. Not a single drop of water on Arrakis. Anyway. <laughs> wow. It, this is a classic closing, isn't it? We're invoking Dune. Dude, man. Already? Are you ready, Mark? I am ready. One, two, two, three, three. Goodbye. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Later, buddy. I love you. Love you too, man. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Good night.